Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. So I was listening to um, Simon Simek. I think that's how you say his name. You guys heard of him? He, he wrote the book, Start With a Why. Really good business book. And he is a kind of a no-nonsense, like business leadership kind of speaker. He's all over the social media, keynote speaker and a lot of things. I was listening to him and talking as he talked about the millennials. And he kind of extrapolated and talked about how they are known to be um, entitled or selfish in some ways. And how he kind of like, he didn't defend them, but he shared the observations of the culture. And he, he explained why, like, you have to recognize how they grew up, how their parents, like, put them in programs, and they get, came with, like, participation trophies. Like, there, there's a lot of the new that these generation grew up that we did not, so they became a little soft, a little entitled, a little bit selfish or impatient. Uh, and they were talking about all these things. And then he talked about they're addicted to social media. Literally, they're addicted to social media, whether they know it or not. And he talked about dopamine. It's a feel-good hormone that gets released every time somebody likes their picture. It's like they feel good. So they keep at it. And so what do you do? You see this generation, they're sitting amongst together, but they're all looking down on their phones. They would rather communicate with them by chat or talk by their phones than actually talk to each other and have a conversation, right? We laugh about it, but it's kind of scary because we say that maybe they don't know how to talk to each other. They don't know how to communicate. They're addicted to this dopamine because they want the likes. And I was thinking, and this is just a thought, is it possible that we have this illusion of having friends without having friends? Consider, I mean, when Facebook came out and you have all these friends, you think you have a lot of friends. Some have hundreds and thousands, right? And they even put a cap for some people because it's like after 5,000, you're now a, a public figure or whatever it is. But there's this illusion that we have a lot of friends without having friends. Illusion that you are involved in someone's life because you see how they live, where they go, how they dress, what they're talking about, who they're associating with, without knowing what's going in their heart, without having a conversation with them. It's having this illusion that we have friendship because we see what they do, but we have no friendship because there's no connection of the souls and the spirit. And it's not just the millennials, but it has seeped into all generations, including the elderly. It's not just Facebook. There's a social media in every country for their language and cultures. It's fun. Oh, gosh. See, this is the little things. Thank you. These are the little things that jet lag would do. Thank you for catching it. 
It's been recording Debbie the whole time. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll erase that. <laughs> All right. Some months ago, I had talked to you about how there's been a shift in families. There was a shift in how we perceive what families even look like. Uh, there was a time when uh, families, how, who we saw as family were, was the whole clan, your immediate family, extended family, and all the relatives, because you lived together within the community. It was a tribe, it was a clan, like the tribe of Judah. That was one brother and all his kids and the generations after. Well, when the Industrial Revolution happened, it took people from their family, the clan, tribes, into the cities, into the culture where the job took them, and it shifted how people lived. The culture, the environment, influenced the family, and it looked very different. How people related as a family changed as well. Well, I think there's another shift that's happening. Ooh, this cracking is getting to me. The environment changed, influenced the family shift. And with the social media and the phones and the advancement of technology, and who knows what this AI is going to do in, in impacting our culture, but already we have seen a shift in how we relate and how we communicate. We see a shift that has already taken place in our gen young generations and into the older generations, how we communicate as friends. And it happens in all relationships. It's friendships, it's the marriage, it's church communities. Relationships have become more shallow. Uh, let me just say the elephant in the room relationships and how we communicate has become more shallow i have observed it over the last couple of decades of shifting cultures how church families relate conversations what happens in small groups has changed the stuff that we used to talk deep that changed hearts we stopped talking about it. We stayed in the water cooler level conversations. We stayed in the comfort rather than the difficult that changed our lives. So I believe there is a shift that is happening in our culture that has influenced the church. And maybe it's possible that the church and the church people have adopted the view of the culture, has infiltrated the church, and we no longer see the church as the way God has called us to see church. You guys with me? So I want us to sort of get real this morning. We're going to talk about relationship um, and how we ought to, the kind of relationship that God calls us into. We're going to, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, we'll be looking at, actually, I'm going to read from 10 through 18 for now, but later on, we're going to cover the chapter. Romans 12, 10 through 18. I'll be reading from the ESV for, version for you, and I'll have it up. And if you get the watermark, just wait it out. It will come back up, and we'll have it fixed by next week. All right. It says, love one another. 
with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulations. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. This is the word of God. Yeah, so let me just give you the context for Romans 12. All right. You need to read the whole Bible. <laughs> and everything is in proper context. And I always like to give you the context so you understand the flow and the thought. Not just the verse, but the complete thought of the writer writing to who? The audience, the, um, the church at that time. And so Apostle Paul, when he was in the beginning of chapter 12, he talks about uh, offering ourselves as living sacrifice. That all we do, our action, is worship to the Lord. Okay? So there's nothing that you can separate. It, the, the worship is not just on Sunday, but it is offering of yourselves and all that you do, all that you act, and all that you say with all people is worship unto the Lord. And then he goes to uh, talk about, in verse 2, how do not, be, do not conform yourself to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, right? You guys remember all these? These are very famous uh, scriptures that you, we should be memorizing. But he was like, there's a culture. Don't be like that. But renew, transform, okay? So that's the world. Here's a church. You're, you're going to think differently because... This is all a spiritual act of worship. And then in light of all that, he says, be humble. Serve others. He talks about a lot of things, but it's within this context that he goes deeper and, and talks about how we relate with one another. It's our relationship. And he starts with saying, uh, you know, not everybody's the same. We have different gifts different grace, different anointings. God has made you different than another person. And so because of that, we're all going to act differently. You guys with me? All right. So when he gets to this portion where he recognized that the words are very similar to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you read about that, it says about the spiritual gifts and the spiritual anointings. But I want you to imagine we're all different. We are all gifted differently. I can't play guitar like G, but I love him because he offers what I cannot and vice versa. There, there is beauty in diversity, beauty. But let's talk about the elephant in the room. We don't like people who are different than us. We get uncomfortable when someone just even shares a different opinion than us. Difference can make us very uncomfortable. Can we agree to that? No, really. Being different divides. You know, we recognize in some cultures that difference in color has really separated. And it wasn't that long ago when there was a segregation 
within our culture, in our country, you couldn't sit next to a person of different color. That wasn't that long ago, folks. And, it, and Dr. Martin Luther King and um, Dr. Billy Graham, they both said 10 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in our country. And it still may be. We have come really far and changed. I mean, this is probably one of the more colorful and more, more diverse uh, congregations. But still, people are inclined. You go to some church, and I'm not talking about the ethnic churches. You go to some church, and there are some churches, people dress the same, like all the pastors. and They dress the same. All the pastoral staff, they all have the beard, they all have the skinny jeans, and they all have the same sneakers. It's kind of scary. Because we are inclined to be drawn to people who are like us, who are the same views, same theological positions, all that. We are inclined to be comfortable with the same. We don't like differences. Even just differences in opinion. I mean, there's a lot of couples here. How many times have you guys shared your opinion to your spouse and they didn't agree and you didn't like that? Yeah, then that's just the opinion. But diversity can be beautiful because when I think of diversity, I think of the end times when Jesus is the king of all and every nation, people of all colors, of all cultures will bow down and their only commonality is their love and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only commonality is that every knee will be on the ground, bowing down before him. That's the diversity. That's the beauty of all the differences coming to one commonality, and that is because of Jesus Christ. Although people are different, it matters that we love sincerely. Paul says in verse 9 through 10, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Let me bring you key points here. And he says, Let love be real, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly love, honor one another, outdo yourself in honoring others. This is true humility, guys. This is about putting the others ahead of your own for the sake of love. It's not pretending to be loved. This is genuine love. Let love be real. Genuine. What's interesting about this verse and that love that he talks about, okay, and it says brotherly affection, this is very interesting. You look up that word brotherly affection, brotherly love. It's Philadelphia. It's the city that's least of love, but that's a whole other thing. The, the Greek word for Philadelphia, originally it's for immediate family. It's your brother. It's your sister. It's a sibling love. Yet, Apostle Paul uses this word to talk about brotherly affection for the church, for this group, for people you worship the Lord with. You guys understand? This is revolutionary because that word was only used for his siblings. And then if the secular had used it, it was the in-group. Like you are like insider of a particular club and you are in. That love is not going to be shared anywhere else. But he uses it for the first time in the Greek, in the context of people of faith, brotherly affection. 
The Passion Translation uh, translates this verse as this way. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. So Dr. Brian Simmons and Passion Translation, it's not word-for-word -word translations here, okay? There's a lot of words that's in there that's not in the Bible, but he elaborates it in such a way that you get it. Treat one another, the church, as your own brother. Here's the thing with the sibling relationships. We go out of our way to maintain that relationship. Meaning, there are times when your brother or your sister do you wrong, offends you, says things that, ooh, you just want to punch them. Like, it, it, that's your brother, that's your sister. Because of the closeness and the comfort, they will say things that others can't say. And there are things that will, like, really rub you the wrong way. But at the end of the day, you still forgive them. You still love them because they're your sibling. They're family. It's not something that you can say, oh, I'm so offended. I will forget you. I will never talk to you again. No, at the end of the day, you're still, like, sleeping next, <laughs> next room or same bed or whatever it is, however you grew up. How we see family is completely different than how we see our neighbors or friend from school. We don't have an option to leave behind family. That's because we say blood is thicker than water. There is something to be said about having family. The relationship is at the core. It's lifelong relationship. And he was calling the church to extend that same grace, same love to the brothers and sisters of faith, that the church is family. Is it possible that the, the culture has taught us this consumer mindset and has retrained us, has taught us that the church is not your family, it's an organization. You can't trust the church, you can't trust the religious organization, you can't trust the leaders. How many times I've gone on social media and like people say things that you can't trust the leaders? Is it possible that we have a wrong understanding of what church is and how we see the congregation? I don't know if any of you guys have really considered the church as your family. It's, it's a tough call. Because the natural thinking in me, even when I became a believer, was to shop for a church. To visit different places. To see where I feel comfortable, where I may be accepted, where I may relate in a way that hey, this works for me. We shop. That's a consumer mindset. I've never, I can't say I never. Um, as a young believer, I remember thinking church was a separate entity. It's not family. It was a place I visited. And it wasn't a place that I committed to. And the way the church see, way the people see the church now especially is a place that you visit. And people have questioned me when I offered a membership class for a church. People question, why do we need to take this? Because they didn't want to sign names on a dotted line to 
be involved in some church uh, membership. That they feel committed. It's like people are afraid of commitment today. Even to a church. To say, if you agree, if you want to serve, we ask that you become our member. And people didn't want that. Why? Because people have perceived that as a place that you visit. It's an organization, not family. You might think, uh, Eric, you know, that's, that's good. That's great ideology that you see church as family, but that's not for me. And if that's you, I could understand why, where that thinking may come from. But from the scripture, I look at the church not as an organization, but an organic being. It is what Jesus has Jesus Christ has done after the cross that he resurrected. He called those who followed him family of God, children of God, where the Father is God himself. And he says, you are my brothers and sisters, people of faith. It, when did it ever become an organization? It was never an organization. It was never about four walls. It was never even about a church because they didn't have a church building. It was in homes and living rooms and people met together because they wanted to. The Lord added to their numbers because of what God and the Holy Spirit was doing. It was never about an organization or 413C or whatever it is that people in, entailed or thought. I think the Bible is very, very clear in outlining how we ought to see one another in the church, and that is as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we love one another. We serve one another. We humble ourselves before one another. We honor one another. You know, we're patient with one another. We pray for one another. We, we celebrate. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. When somebody is sick, we are broken with them. Just like a body with many members, that when you stump a toe, the whole body hurts. It's not just the toe. We don't amputate it just because it hurts us. We are inclined to bring healing because we all hurt. And, and in the same way, an artist does a beautiful painting. It's not just the hand that gets the glory. It's the whole person. We celebrate as one whole being, as a body of Christ. So we say we get all that. Yet, what about the relationships? We love one another. We serve one another. We extend our love to members who, who come. And yet, the individuals might even say, oh, I feel so loved. I feel so accepted. I, I love this church. But then a week later, a tribulation happens, some difficulty and by a single disappointment, an individual may say, I don't feel loved. And they reject the church and reject everyone in it. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. I've experienced that many times over the years in ministry. Live a little if you haven't. It, it happens in the church often. And, and it, it breaks my heart. Sometimes I don't even comprehend it, the logic, because we love one another. We go out of our way to serve and and. In a single instant, in a week, their hearts can change. And they would leave. And I wondered about that. 
did they really see us as family or was it an organization they came to and agreed and enjoyed and maybe was entertained but then didn't quite see it as family? I, I think the church has been viewed by the culture and that culture has been so strong to influence us more than the church. It was very evident in the past three years during COVID where the church would became optional. We're talking even church leaders saying, why are you guys meeting? You shouldn't be meeting. And they were fully convinced. People can do this online. What does that mean? This is coming from church leaders who have said this. When people say you should not be gathering, you could do this online, you are redefining what church is from the biblical standard. Because church is ecclesia. It's the gathering, and you can have church without the gathering? The, the essence of the word ecclesia, the gathering, the assembling, you can have church without assembling? Then what are you treating it as? No different from a university that you can do an online class. We can worship. We can do the service online. Are you worshiping online? They listen to the music, but they weren't worshiping. They might passively listen, but they weren't participating in the corporate worship. And then what do they think as the main meal? The sermon? The teaching. No different than a professor in an online course. So how have the church have treated, how has the culture treated the church? No different than a university, an organization, not a family. So is it possible that we American church, American Christians in the 21st century, have viewed the church of Jesus Christ wrong. We viewed what happens in the church wrong. We have viewed one another as family of God, but instead it said it's a place that we visit. Completely wrong. The consumer culture has influenced us more than we, we think we have. And we have treated the members as consumers, as opposed to being brothers or being sisters to one another. If we have seen the church as an organization, some place that we visit, as rather than family, then we have never treated them as family. Anything out, different than a family as what God has ordained, if we have saw it differently, then we would treat it wrong. It's not different. It's wrong according to the biblical standards. When it comes to relationship, I, I confess, there's nothing that I have control over you, how you behave or how you respond to what I do. I can only control what I do and hope that you respond appropriately. Do you guys understand? I can't change you. I love you. I can't change you, any of you. I can only serve and honor and direct and maybe teach you the right things. And I just hope that you respond appropriately, that you get it right. But how many times I have seen what I have said being misunderstood, misinterpreted, and people get offended 
by even my gesture of love. It happens all the time. And because of that, that's why relationships are so tough. We give, we love, we sacrifice, we're generous, we pray for one another, we celebrate together, we weep together, we, we do all these things, and we can only hope that they respond appropriately. But they may still get offended. They may still reject you. They may still not like you, and it hurts. And that's what makes church so much harder than any other occupation. It, believe me, working 80 hours in some corporate, it, sometimes it's easier than the heart ministry of the church because our hearts are involved. And when somebody does us wrong, man, we want to get back at them. You no, know, really, that's our natural flesh instinct to go back at people who hurt us. And that also shows that we don't trust God. We don't trust the Bible and what God says. Because God says this about, you know, in that relationship, he tells us to do all the right things. But then when somebody wrongs you, within the same chapter of what we're talking about uh, apostle paul says this in romans 12 19 through 21 he says beloved never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good this is a whole relational aspect and the attitude that we ought to have. And I'm not saying I got this. I'm not saying I, <laughs> I live out everything as written. I, I try. But in our modern-day relationship, too many people are afraid to go into the relationship because the fear of pain, fear of rejection, the fear that I will not be accepted or fear that I will not be loved. But that's not what the Bible says. It says, do your part. Let your love be genuine. Let it be real. Abhor evil. Focus on the good. Honor one another. Outdo one another in love. Serve. Pray. Be there for them. Be generous. And if somebody wrongs you, I'll heap love on them all the more. You know why? Because the more you do that to your enemy, you're going to heap coals on their head. You know what that means? It's sort of this Egyptian culture that says by kindness, this heap of coal is like this repentance. It's like they're going to burn naturally. It's like they're going to be own guilt ridden to repentance. I love that. It's like, oh, it's, it almost sounds manipulative, but it's okay. You love them, and that guilt will come upon their own that they will be in penitence. They would change. I can tell you that the world's way of religious is not God's way of his church. His church is called to be a family, not an organization. Not a place that you visit, but it's a place that you are committed to, that you see one another as blood. At the end of the day, no matter what you go through, it's knowing that your family is going to be there knowing that it is true commitment, and you serve because of that love. <clears throat> I can tell you that I have five sisters. I'm the youngest. I can tell you that growing up, I didn't think my sisters were nice. 
And I'm saying that in a kind way. I thought they were bullies. I used to wish for a brother that could protect me from five older sisters because they're so strong. They bully me around. They boss me around and all these things. And now that I'm older, in hindsight, that which I wished I was saved from, I recognize... Oh, thank you. I recognize how much love they had for me and why they did the things that they did. I didn't like it on that, during that time, but they did it because of love. Knowing that and knowing who my sisters are and the love that we have and all the endurance that we persevered through. And don't get me wrong, I, there was time I was a bratty brother. I was not a good brother. They were not a good sister. I'm saying affirming things now, but we weren't believers during that time when we, were, we lived together and, and we're siblings in that regard. We lived distantly all over the country. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my sisters. There's nothing I wouldn't do or give for my sisters because they have. I may not be good about communicating. I may not be good about calling them. As a brother, I don't. <laughs> I let my wife do that. <laughs> so I'm not saying I do all the right things. But man, if they ever give me a call and say, I need this, it's there. Because that's what family is. That's what love does. It's how we perceive one another, how we see one another. The moment I recognized and I was mature enough to see true love, offered, given to me. I may not have known it most of my life, but as an adult with a little bit of more wisdom, I recognize it now. I respond appropriately. There are people in the church who will not respond appropriately to how you have showed your love because they don't recognize that love now. But that heap of coal will eventually get to them. You have to keep reaching, keep loving. I see you guys, and this is the committed group. So, I mean, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. <laughs> I'm just saying that I, for most churches on, in the United States, see the church wrong. They see it as a consumer mindset. I'm glad you see it appropriately because my heart for you is as family. And whenever we get together and have these fellowship, I do so out of family. I don't just cook just because, hey, it's a good program. I do it because I cook for my family. And I just, that's my heart language. That's my love language. And if you guys know that, then you know that comes from the heart. So we'll celebrate together on Christmas, right? All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.